The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. We have the opportunity to announce just a few months ago, back in September, that the Lord was leading me and my family to plant a church in Dearborn, Michigan. Um, I don't know if they're in here with us this morning, but they're out there. I'll introduce my family. My wife Katie here is with us, and we have three children. Uh, Riley is four years old, Brady is two years old, and Wesley is just seven months old. And uh, it has been fun to travel with three little people, and uh, it makes it interesting. And uh, we are learning and uh, getting better every single trip uh, on, on getting and going to different churches every week. And so uh, they are embracing the adventure of making new friends every week and going to new churches. And uh, it, they've been a blessing, and it's been encouraging uh, to have them alongside with us as much as possible as we go out. And so, again, my name is Josh Levesque. I have found that it's better to just, just get my name out there in the front because uh, it is a commonly mispronounced name, and I am one that hates to correct people. And so, you know, I have been known to just, just if somebody chooses their own pronunciation for my name, I'll just, I'll let them go with it. I won't, I won't, I won't correct you. I've, I'll go with Levesque, 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 I've heard them all. So you won't surprise me if you want to get creative with it. Uh, but it is Levesque, just disregard the letters in the middle and uh, put a K on the end, Josh Levesque. Uh, my dad's mom was Canadian and his dad was French, so a very French-Canadian name. And uh, it uh, makes for some interesting introductions sometimes at different places. So I'm getting better at getting out in front of that one and just t telling people how uh, to pronounce it. Um, but I am uh, an assistant pastor, somewhat currently still, at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Corona, Michigan. Uh, that is the church that I grew up in. My dad planted Emmanuel Baptist Church when I was two years old. Started in our living room uh, in a farmhouse between a couple cornfields. And uh, that's, the church was there for a little while, a couple months, until it quickly outgrew that, moved into the town, and uh, within two years had some property. And that church has now grown to a church of up over 350 members and is just a thriving ministry. And so it's been my great privilege to kind of grow up in a thriving church plant and always kind of had that church planting mentality. And uh, I have kind of gotten to see it firsthand. So I kind of grew up with that in my DNA. Always knew that I wanted to be in ministry. I was saved at age seven. I surrendered to full-time ministry at age 12 and knew that that's what I wanted to do with my life, even to the point where I thought, hey, I would love to plant a church someday. And uh, the Lord gave me the privilege to go to Pensacola Christian College. I graduated there, pastoral ministry, and have for the past five and a half years have been serving at my home church, Emmanuel Baptist, as assistant pastor, and gotten to do everything as, as assistant pastors do, from assimilation and outreach, discipleship, to graphic design and media, and and uh, it's been a great experience, but um, just over a year ago, the Lord started to lay on my heart a burden for church planting, and through a revival meeting, uh, a, prayer, a prayer meeting in a revival meeting, the Lord really gave me a burden to go to the city of Dearborn, Michigan. Now, I, now when I go places, I warn people, I say, you ought to be careful going to prayer meetings. It's a dangerous place, because you start praying for God to do something. You start praying for God to send someone. He might send you. And that's how it happened. We were in a prayer meeting, and somebody started praying for the city of Dearborn, and another person started praying, Lord, send someone to Dearborn. And, and I'm sitting in the back thinking, yes, Lord, send someone to Dearborn, and, and Dearborn needs a church. And I, I was familiar with it. I had been to the city, researched it myself, was aware of the need. And then someone else got up, and they prayed, Lord, would you send someone to plant a church in Dearborn? And all of a sudden, the Lord just really, I mean, as... as Real as I'm talking to you today, really put his hand on my shoulder and, and, and showed me, hey, you should consider going to Dearborn. And I just was not able to escape that burden, began surveying the city. And through that process, I, I spent about a year in that process asking the question, do we need a church in Dearborn? 
and, and when you ask the question, do we need a church, there are a lot of factors that go into that. And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about this idea of how do we determine the need of a new church? How do we say that city needs a church versus this city needs a church, or we should plant here versus plant there? How do we examine those things? Now, I am a very analytical person. So the first thing that I like to do is I'm, I'm going to get the statistics. I'm going to go, I'm going to do the math, and I'm going to get the numbers. I'm going to try to make a statistical, reasonable case for that. And that's one half of the battle. Church plant targeting is part strategic statistical. That, that certainly should be involved. We, we want to make wise decisions. But it is a primarily spiritual process and, and spiritual effort. And so I, as, a, as a result of going through that process in my own life, um, I was able to kind of put together a, a, a presentation here of how we can examine and go through that process for ourselves. I am thrilled to be a part of the 30 by 30 project. Um, that has been a huge encouragement in my church planting. And 30 by 30... People ask, what is it? It's, it's not an organization. It's not a club. It's not a membership thing. It's, a, it's an idea at best. It's a vision that we might see 30 independent Baptist churches planted in the Great Lakes region by the year 2030. Now, that would be a miracle all in itself. I don't know that we can say that we're planting that many churches at that rate currently right now. We see some church planting going on, and, and we're encouraged by it, but we want to be intentional. We want to start putting together systems and energies and gathering resources together that are going to help us start to see churches planted in our region at a faster pace. Because if we're honest with ourselves, the first question that comes up is, do we need 30 more churches in the Great Lakes region? doesn't seem like we have a good number of churches in the Great Lakes region. Maybe we should focus somewhere else. We always hear about, uh, you know, the Pacific Northwest and, and uh, the East Coast. These places are, are, are incredibly unchurched, and these are the places we ought to be going. And so that's the question. Do we, do we need more churches? Does America need more churches? It's easy to even look over at foreign fields and places like China and say, oh, how many churches in China versus the population? We, statistically, if we're only look, thinking about numbers, we should put all of our efforts and energies over there. But the question that came to my mind is, is this. Are the needs spiritually in America being met sufficiently? <laughs> and, and it's a rhetorical question almost because we ask that question and instantly we think, well, no. I mean, you, you turn on the news and you look around, you see the state of our country, we're in a rapid spiritual decline and running from God as fast as we can as a nation. And it's sad to see the nation go that way, but, but the answer to that is the gospel ultimately and the method to spread the gospel around the world is the local church. And so we need more churches because the need is not being met. The issue of churches within the United States is one of quality as well as quantity. If you just Google churches in any area, you'll see a whole bunch of dots pop up on a map, and you could think, oh, that's a lot of churches. But start doing the research. Start looking into what those churches actually are. And either uh, we, we see, sadly, a, a large number of churches in decline and not being able to really effectively evangelize their region simply because of their size and lack of resources. Uh, many churches kind of on the brinks of closing their doors, and, and the COVID crisis has only aggravated this thing. We're going to see that. I, I think a lot of the churches that had to shut their doors aren't going to be able to open them. It's only going to make this problem worse. And so we look at the dots on the map. We see a lot of them maybe don't even represent churches that are still active. And, and on the other hand, a lot of churches are compromised doctrinally, spiritually, morally in such ways that, that they're, they've extinguished their own light. They are not actively a gospel witness because they have compromised with the world in so many significant ways. And so when we start to get down to the reality of it and we see the quality of the churches versus just the quantity, 
the need becomes apparent. And we start to think, well, yes, we certainly do have a great need for churches. We start to flip the script and say, not, not that we don't need churches, but there's almost not a bad place you could plant a church. We need churches all over. We need churches almost in every city in the United States. We need more churches because we need more gospel. We need more preaching. We need more evangelism. We need more uh, effective witnesses established here in the United States and here in the Great Lakes region. But here's the thing. We have limited resources. We can't necessarily plant a church in every city. And so with the resources that the Lord has given us, we want to be wise stewards, and so we want to make the right decision. Where should we focus our efforts? How then do we come to a decision to say, this is the place where this church or these people, we're going to focus our efforts here, and we're going to make, see that a new church is established here. We're going to reproduce ourselves in this other city. So how can the elusive need of a city be quantified? Because we say, oh, that place needs a church. But how do you how do you quantify that? Again, I'm, I'm a statistics guy, so I want to I see numbers. I want to see uh, a formula that says this plus this equals plant a church. And unfortunately, we can't get it quite down that scientifically because ultimately it's a spiritual process, and it involves prayer and fasting and, and these, these ideas of burden and calling and vision. And so what I want to do with the time we have here together this morning is I want to define some terms, and I want to lay the groundwork to say how can we apply ourselves to examining the areas around us and saying, where's the greatest need? Where should we focus? Where should we go? And so the, we're going to look at the two sides of this. The church planting, targeting a church plant involves both spiritual and strategic considerations. Each play an important role in determining need and necessity of a church to meet that need. First of all is the strategic. Overall, the strategic goal is to define the need in a community. This consists of three things that I've defined. First one is gospel saturation. This is a fancy term that I have tried to coin uh, to basically represent the statistical needs. How many churches are in that city? How much is that city already being reached? How much gospel witness is already present there? Uh, so the level of gospel saturation, the level of spiritual darkness, and the level of other strategic advantages. And so we don't want to focus our energies and our resources without significant research. We want to put some thought into it. We want to make the best decision and go to the place where there is the greatest need. And so we want to do our research. This idea of gospel saturation is a way to statistically evaluate the areas around us to say uh, on the surface level where the greatest need might be. And uh, so the most obvious factor when you're thinking about where we're going to plant a church is what churches are already there. Okay, we're not trying to plant churches in, in the backyards of other churches. Obviously, we want to go where, uh, biblically, we want to go where the laborers are few. You ever gone to uh, an orchard? or gone to like a strawberry patch or something to pick fruit. And uh, you don't, you know, you see a crowd of people, you don't go right over where they're picking and then you'll kind of get and start picking off the same bush that they're, you know, no, no, no. You don't want to get uh, into where they're going. You want to spread out. You're, you're going to go where there's not somebody already working. And so we see the field. We want to first of all identify where are there people that are effectively reaching their field, seeing good results and harvesting. And, and let's work together. Let's strategically spread ourselves out here and let's try to get good coverage of these areas. Where these churches do exist, we want to defer to those churches and, and uh, work with them. They may have a good idea of another area that has a good need. And in any community, there's going to be churches of all sorts, maybe even other Baptist churches, but again, they need to be identified and examined to determine their level of gospel effectiveness. And we want to qualify those churches as well as count them. Once churches have been identified and qualified, you can determine the level of gospel saturation. We've, I was talking with Pastor Kagan last night. We've uh, started to have an organized effort to do this across the entire country. We've built a recon map. and You can go to our website, Great Lakes 30. If you're interested in seeing this for yourself visually, we've, we've created a, an interactive recon map, greatlakes30.com. And 
on that map, it will show you the numbers and it will color them based on the church to population ratio. So it will, the darker colored counties on the map are the counties that have a higher ratio of population to churches. So it would be like this. This county over here is dark because there's only one church to every 150,000 people. Now in some counties it's lower. Some counties it's one church to every 20,000 people. And so statistically we can start to see where the need might be greater. Where are there fewer laborers in the field? That's just one part of it. It might help us to get a start, but again, there are so many other factors that you need to think about. One of those is the level of spiritual darkness. When we're thinking about where should we go, where should we plant, where do we need churches, we have to think about spiritually, where is it the darkest? As Christians, we are called to be light. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's what we are. We're a light. And what is a church then? A church is then a collection of lights. You get a whole bunch of individual people who have light together, and you focus all those lights together, and you get a pretty powerful beam of light. It's like a lighthouse. And, and that focused energy can light up a whole community. It can be a great witness. It can be a great testimony to the gospel and to Christ. And so when we look around, we start to see, well, where is it dark? And that darkness looks like this. Where, where is there a, a concentration of wickedness? Foolishness, false religion, brokenness, sadness, depravity. These are the things that we see around us when we look at the world, and oftentimes those things repel us. All those things I said are kind of a good definition of our inner cities. <laughs> we look at our, our cities and think those are depraved, dark places. They're crime-ridden. They're violent. Uh, there's poverty. All of these things, but all these things are the result of sin, brokenness in the world. And so when we see that, it ought not repel us, it ought to attract us because that's darkness and we're light. We are, we are going to bring the light to these dark, dark areas. Uh, the spiritual darkness in a community can be represented by the presence of false religions, cults, and other sinful activities. Through the increase of immigration in the United States, false religions such as Islam have, have infiltrated and taken over entire regions um, almost entirely. Uh, and, and I'm going to talk about Dearborn a little bit more, but I'll start to reference it. The Lord has called us to the city of Dearborn. It is the highest concentration of Arabic people and Islamic people outside of the Middle East. A city of 100,000 people that is nearly 50% Arab American. Uh, it's incredible, the transformation that's taken place in Dearborn. But the result of that has been an incredibly strong Islamic stronghold right there in the state of Michigan. Not far from where I currently live and grew up. And so we start to see these things. and. They ought not repel us, they ought to attract us. We see the darkness and we, we ought to think that place needs a church. When we see a place that is overcome with crime uh, or, or a place that is violent or, or a place that is uh, riddled with drugs, that, I, that would probably be the, the story of my hometown in Owasso. There's a, a, a drug epidemic and we see it in the news every day. Families destroyed and lives ruined by that plague. But those are the things that ought to attract us as Christians. Because we have the solution to those problems. We have the light. And so we ought to go to the dark places. The presence of these many forms of darkness defines the need for a new source of light to break through and establish a beacon of hope. Infiltrating the darkness takes courage, but uh, as my dad has said and wrote in one of his latest books, he said that uh, there's no place that a church can't go, especially a courageous church. And we are called to go to the darkness. And so when I'm, when I'm looking around and thinking, where should we go? We need to go to the place that there's the greatest need. And we want to go to the place where the laborers are few. We need to go to the places where it is spiritually dark 
and, and they, there is a greater need for the gospel in some of those places. And we see some of these things like false religion and sinful activities. Entire cities in our country are defined by their wickedness. Am I right? We have Sin City. We have uh, cities that are kind of have a reputation. Uh, Chicago, renowned for its violence. Other cities renowned for their acceptance of homosexuality. And they start to take on this identity. And we want to bring a gospel identity. Other than that, we can look at other advantages. There are other things that would say, this is a better spot over this spot. Some of those things are uh, personal suitability. You have a person who's kind of uh, seems to be made to fit in this spot. They have some uh, personal history or some personal upbringing experience that has enabled them, prepared them to go to that place. You can see pastoral support, local contacts, meeting people there that want to have a church. You might find a potential building, a great meeting place, and that would be an indicator that perhaps this is a place that we could go. And other growth factors, when you see a city, a city growing in population or changing in population, there's an idea that this place may be ready for a new church. And so all of that I would call strategic. We can, we can analyze all that. And those are the things that most appealed to me. I want to look at all these factors and see what is the place. And when I did that in the state of Michigan, it brought me to Dearborn. And I, I believe personally that there's no greater need for a church in the state of Michigan than the city of Dearborn. It's a glaring, obvious need. And I'll, I'll share more with that in the morning service. But then we have to think spiritually. We have to primarily think spiritually. And there's these other factors and the spiritual factors are the ideas of calling, burden, and vision. And these are the things that we need to start wrestling with is the term we often use. And, and when we wrestle with something spiritually, it's a, it means we're, we're putting it through a process of, of, of scriptural, spiritual discernment, prayer, fasting. We're, we're going through this process of asking God what he would have us to do, and we're thinking in these ways. And so the first element in any church planter or missionary presentation is that of calling. And what is calling? Calling can be defined as a strong inner impulse towards a course of action, especially when accompanied by a, con a conviction of divine influence. God is calling me to do this. God has given me a desire to do this. God is pushing me in this direction, pulling me in this direction. I, I feel that this is what he would have me to do. And I, I believe and can tell you with 100% certainty that God still calls men and women into his service. And he can do it very effectively. He can do it very clearly. He can make it as clear as I'm talking to you today because I've experienced it in my own life. God does and will call men and women into his service. The often heard phrase wrestling, we go through that process, but what can be confusing is the many ways that calling is used. It can be used in a number of different ways, and I've, I've defined those to kind of help us uh, narrow it down. There is first a general calling in the sense that every one of you that's saved here today are called. No one can say they're not called because we have what? A great commission. And that is the general calling, that everyone is, who is saved, everyone who is a member of a local church, is part of this body that is called to go into all the world and preach the gospel, uh, teaching them all things, making disciples, baptizing them. This is what we are all called to do. We are all called to be involved. We are all called to be part of the church and involved in the Great Commission. But there is special calling. God calls men and women to another level, and, and primarily God calls men to a level of gospel witness with a level of dedication and sacrifice exceeding the general calling. Uh, this would be represented in 1 Timothy 1, 11 through 12. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me for that economy faithful, putting me into the ministry. There is a level of special calling. God calls men to gospel ministry, gospel work. And then there is more specific calling, and God calls people to specific roles. And sometimes this is vocational ministry, to be a 
a pastor or a missionary or, or a teacher or something like that. But this is also volunteer ministry, to serve in your local church and to be a teacher and to be a servant. God calls specifically to areas. And then there's another level here, and I think this is kind of the final level. And this is what we're talking about when we're talking about church planting and what we hear from missionaries, and that is a level of geographic calling. God calls to gospel ministry. God calls to specific place in, uh, service, but God also calls to places. And God calls people to go to specific geographic places. And we see it through the Bible. All of God's callings involve some sort of geography to go to this place. We're going to talk about Jonah this morning. Jonah's one that got a pretty clear geographic call. Go to Nineveh. And God does this as well. And I believe that calling is something that is held by individuals. God calls individual people. But it's something that is recognized by the local church and authorized by the local church. Our model is the church in Antioch. Acts chapter 13, verse 2, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, this is talking about the men in the church. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. You see, God called Barnabas and Saul. They had a calling on their life to go plant churches. But it was the local church, God said, Hey, you guys, separate, send, enable, authorize, provide for, prepare Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to. And so the local church is the agent of this calling. It is the location of this calling, and they are the ones with the authority and the responsibility to plant churches. We believe that churches plant churches. It is the calling of the church. It's the authority of the church. It is the burden and responsibility of the church to plant churches. So when we make the proposition, we want to see 30 churches planted in the Great Lakes region by 2030, who's going to do that? Great Lakes 30 by 30, as I mentioned, is not an organization. Great Lakes 30 by 30 is not going to plant 30 churches. We need, by the Holy Spirit working through us and knitting our hearts together, bringing us together, we need 30 Great Lakes churches to plant 30 more Great Lakes churches. We need churches to reproduce themselves because the church is the gospel agent in the world. The church is God's plan. That is what God left. That is what God enabled. And, and I love your theme this year. It's perfect. And we're going to talk about that more today. But, but Christ promised he is the one that's going to build his church. And so if we believe that, then we have to continue to believe that church planting is both possible and necessary. And I want to talk about this last topic here. We talk about calling. And if we read the Bible, we, we understand that the calling is, is general and, and the calling is shared by all of us. And we all have this burden and responsibility as members of the church. But this next topic is one that is, is the Lord's really used in my life and given me a better picture of what this is and feels like, and that is the idea of burden. And it's a term that we use in a lot of times. You have a burden for someone. You have a burden for something. But when we're talking about burden in, burden in regards to church planting is that the Lord gives people burdens for specific areas. And this is kind of, the I think, the ultimate spiritual indicator to plant a church. The Lord can call someone and give someone a burden to go to a place that statistically maybe doesn't make sense. But that's okay, because this is the primary factor, is this idea of burden. People often describe their calling as burden for a region of people. A burden, I don't think, can be measured. We can't quantify it. We can't count it. We can't put it on a scale. How, how, how heavy is your burden? A burden is a burden, and, and it is a sense of responsibility. 
in awareness of a spiritual need. So we can do all the analysis that I talked about. We can, we can lay everything out. We can look around us and start to see where to our eyes might be the greatest need. And when we do that, we're going to start to see that there's needs all around us. We're going to start to realize, wow, the need is, is great. The harvest truly is plenteous. And the laborers are few. And we're going to start to realize, wow, Lord, there's a lot of work to do. I don't think we can do all this. There is, there is more work to be done than we could possibly do in our lifetimes. We need your help, Lord. And when we start to see all of these needs, it can become overwhelming. And we can't necessarily, you know, you can have a burden for the whole world, but you can't reach the whole world yourself. What can we do individually and what can one church do in awareness of the great need all around the world and the great need even in our own region? A burden comes in response to an awareness of the need. You're not going to have a burden until you see the need. You're not going to get to this place where you start to sense the responsibility and, and have this weight on you until you see the need. And so that's why the first part of 30 by 30 is this idea of recon. We're challenging churches to get in the mindset of start looking around you. Start looking in your area. The way we've defined it is a two-hour driving radius because in the Midwest, that's how we define distance is driving time, right? Somebody asks you how far away something is, you don't tell them how many miles it is. You tell them how many hours it is. Oh, that's two hours away. And that's how we define distance in the Midwest. Apparently, that's different in other places because I talk like that and people other places, and they think I'm weird. But that's how we define distance. So that's what we've challenged churches to do. And this is the first step of being part of 30 by 30 is that churches, local churches, would take the responsibility to lift their eyes, uh, look unto the harvest, as Jesus said. Lift your eyes up. Start looking around. Start maybe doing some research. Start maybe counting the churches around you and start looking for areas where there might be a great need. Because you're not going to get a burden until you're aware of the need. Once you see a need, oh, there's a need. The Lord can use that to then give you a burden. And what the burden is, is not just awareness, but responsibility. Not just, oh, there's a need there, but there's a need there, and I feel that I, or we, are specifically suited and prepared to meet that need. I think we're the ones that God is going to have meet that need. And I think maybe I'm the one that God is going to send to meet that need. And so God may use a number of things to show you the need. Sometimes it's a missionary presentation. That's, I think God has effectively used missionary presentations to call more missionaries and call more people into his service and give them a greater burden for the world. Um, I'm reminded David Livingston well, had a calling to be a missionary. He was trained to be a missionary, knew he wanted to be a missionary, but it wasn't until he sat in a missionary conference and heard Robert Moffat get up and say, I have seen the smoke of a thousand villages that are without Christ. It was that visual picture that Moffat put in Livingston's mind that Livingston said, you know what? I'm going to go to those thousand villages. I'm going to go to the heart of Africa. I'm going to give my life to explore the dark continent and to bring the gospel to those villages. And so it was when he heard the need, the Lord triggered a burden and a sense of responsibility, not just like someone should go to Africa and preach to those villages, but no, 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 I should go to Africa and preach to those villages. And so we have to start to have that heart for our own area, not just someone should do something about the depravity in our neighborhoods and our cities and, and these areas around us, but no, 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 we are the church. We are the saved, baptized, called out assembly. We are the one that have been given the Great Commission and given the Holy Spirit. We have this responsibility to start to examine and find the needs and then begin to pray towards meeting those needs. Hudson Taylor was another one. Picked up a book about China. He was just a teenager in England and never been to China, but he started to read about it. And when he started to realize there were a lot of people without Christ, he got a burden. 
And he, he felt a responsibility. I need to go and do something about this. A need does not necessitate a calling. You, it's possible to be aware of a need and not be called to that area because, again, there are more needs than all of us could possibly fill. There is a big world out there, and there are a lot of people without Christ, and we need to pray that God will raise up more laborers to go into the harvest. But we also need to realize our own responsibility in our own field. But a church planter or a local church can develop burden when they increasingly become aware that it is their responsibility to meet a specific challenge. Here's one illustration that's helped me. When we think of David and Goliath, right? David went down to the Valley of Elah, and the armies were in array, and there was a giant who was taunting God, defying God, the living God, defying the armies of God. And when David went down there and he heard the things that the giant was saying, they, they personally offended him. And he, 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 he saw a need. Somebody needs to quiet that guy. <laughs> he, nobody's to let him say those things. He doesn't get to talk that way about our God. Our God is alive, and somebody ought to defend our God. And, and so he saw a need, and, and the Bible says that he went from man to man. He went to his brothers first, and they said, no, be quiet, go away. And the Bible says that he went man to man. He went down the whole line. He went down this whole army and said, is anyone going to do something about this need? Somebody needs to step up. Somebody needs to go. Somebody needs to meet this challenge. But in a lack of effort, when he realized nobody's going to do anything about this, David was the one with the burden. Because in that moment, he sensed not just the need, but the responsibility. Someone needs to. Nobody is. So I'm going to. I'm going to take care of this need. I'm going to meet this challenge. I'm going to silence this giant. It was a sense of personal responsibility. It was a sense of Holy Spirit enablement. Who told David he could go down and fight Goliath? Who told him he could do that? Nobody gave him permission. In fact, they tried to stop him. They tried to say, no, 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 this isn't your battle. This isn't your fight. You're not the one to do this. You're not enabled. You're not the right person for the job. But no, no, no. he felt, no, 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 you know what? I've slain a lion and a bear. I know that the power of God is on me. I know that God can do this. He felt personal responsibility. He felt Holy Spirit enablement. And he felt divine assistance. David knew he wasn't walking into that valley alone. He knew he wasn't going to do that. He knew that this, this was a bigger challenge than him. This was something bigger than him that he couldn't accomplish on his own. He knew that this was going to be a work of God. But the combination of all those things is what I define as burden. Awareness of the need, but responsibility of the need, and confidence in God's ability to meet the need through you. We're not confident in ourselves, not confident in our flesh, we're not confident in our resources, we're not confident in anything but the promise that Christ made, I will build my church. Ultimately, burden and church planting is an exercise of faith in the promise of God. Do you believe Jesus? Do you believe he keeps his word? Do you believe when Jesus says, I will come again, that he's going to come again? Then we also need to believe when he says, I will build my church, that he's going to build his church. It's easy in today's world to get kind of a defeated mindset. And we see things rapidly changing. And we're looking at the possibility that we're going to maybe face some increased levels of persecution like we haven't seen in our lifetime. That is a real possibility. And it's easy to see the way that the world is going and think that it's time to retreat. Let's hold the ground that we have. Let's bunker down. Let's wait for Jesus to come back. 
But that is a misunderstanding of the Bible and a misunderstanding of history. Because when we look at history, we see that it's been tied through times of persecution that the church has thrived. The church grows. And I've already seen it happening through this last year. We've, we've been under increased scrutiny and increased uh, burden, and the church has thrived. And I've seen churches all around growing and, and getting stronger and going right through this storm. And that's what the church is designed to do. The church is not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. It's made for the fight. And so when the fight comes, the church is ultimately the vehicle that is prepared to take us through the storm. And so it's time to get on the offensive. And that's the philosophy, the, the real heart and burden of Great Lakes 30 by 30, is let's not sit around and wait for church planning to happen. And it does at a certain pace, but let's get on the offensive. And let's take some ground. Let's go into some places where our churches have left or closed or died, and let's, let's regain that for Christ and for the glory of God. Let's multiply the worship of God by multiplying the worshipers of God. Let's see that God gets more glory out of these places that right now are like Goliath. They are mocking our God. And they are trying as hard as they can to make our God look foolish. Let's go to those places and let's silence those voices. Not through conquest. Not through politics. But through the gospel. The gospel is the answer. And we are the vehicle that God has designed to bring the gospel to the world. And so this idea of burden can be placed on individuals, but this idea of burden can be placed on local churches. And I've seen it, and it can happen, where a local church determines that we're going to meet the needs in our areas, and we're going to start praying, and we're going to start looking around, and we're going to ask God how we might employ us in his service, where he might deploy us into his service. As we begin to examine our area in the pattern of the Great Commission to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Our city, our region, our county, our state, and to the whole world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the opportunity here to share your word. Lord, I pray that it be an encouragement to the people here and to this church. Lord, I pray that you would guide them along the way, Lord, that you would begin to uh, show them, Lord, how you might have them to, to minister in their Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, Lord, I pray that you would begin to show us areas in Ohio and in Michigan and, and in Illinois and, and Indiana and Wisconsin and Minnesota, Lord, all over that need churches. And then, Lord, I pray that you would raise up laborers, Lord, that you would raise up the men and women in the churches that are going to plant these churches, Lord. I, I do pray that we would see this goal accomplished, Lord, not for our own fame, not for our own reputation, but for your glory and for your honor, Lord. I pray that we would regain ground. And I pray that areas of this city and areas of this state, Lord, that are now not known for the gospel, Lord, that that might change in this decade. Lord, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there's a lot to take in there, and I uh, appreciate your attention to that. And we have much to pray about. I believe in the morning service after, uh, at, at the conclusion, I'll show you as well a map. He's talking about the, uh, he's talking about the, you know, the holes that are in the inner cities. And uh, he and I were looking over the map last night and just to realize what we have right around us is really quite stunning. And I want, I want you to see it. And does your video include the, the map for Dearborn, what you saw? Maybe we'll try to get that uh, taken care of so we can actually show that as well. But um, 
As we go towards the morning service, I told you we'd be taking a love offering today for them and for their ministry. I also told you on Vision Night, our goal is in our, our desire, our dream, is to be able to take a portion of our mission budget and support church planners on term. That's a goal that we're going to be working towards today. I'd like for the love offering to go towards their one-time needs. And I just want to throw this out to you so you can be um, praying about it. Um, their needs right on their website are these. And we want to contribute today towards their launch, their launch fund. And, uh, and so I want to encourage you about that. And as you look at that, uh, a lot of times... Um, you don't get to see this as I appreciate you putting this out on your website. Um, a lot of times missionaries don't put it right out there, but there's a lot of expense in going into a city and, and, uh, and starting up a church, as you can see. Uh, so uh, you see the different needs there, and uh, I want to encourage you to let's be a part of the love offering today, and you can contribute in the, the donation boxes. You can also go to dearbornbaptist.church and uh, see th uh, learn more as well, but I wanted to put that need in front of you. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.